Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. It's all about how you market yourself, how you position yourself. You have a professional brand, whether you're thoughtfully and strategically shaping it and putting it out there, fundamental to to moving forward as a job seeker is thinking through, how can I get my head straight? Feeling stuck and hopeless in a job, it's a terrible feeling. Thank you so much for joining me today on episode 49 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Jenny Foss. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for the invite. It's it's great to to have a chance to chat. Brilliant. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the supporters of the show. It was recently included at 25 in the Apple podcast, Great Britain Careers Charts. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast and YouTube channel. And thanks for the clap, Jenny. That's that's a great accomplishment. I noticed that the other day. So oh, good job. Thank you. For any new listeners, p- please feel free to connect on LinkedIn and do subscribe, like, and share if you enjoy the content. It makes such a difference. Now back to the show. Jenny is a longtime recruiter, job search strategist, and the founder and CEO of the internationally recognized career website, jobjenny.com. She also partners with LinkedIn in developing career-focused video courses for their LinkedIn learning platform. Through all of her work, Jenny aims to provide exceptional, accessible, and easy to act upon advice that enables people to thrive in their careers. A certified professional resume writer, ferocious Scrabble player, and mean margarita maker, Jenny lives in Portland, Oregon, with her husband, three kids, and rescue dog, Daisy. Her book, Do This, Not That Career, was recently published and is a great read. Welcome, Jenny. You made me sound so official. <laughs> I've got so much going on. <laughs> no, but 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 the, I think the great thing is that mo- most people, they don't really think um, that much about their careers, but it's only when you go over your CV uh, or your backstory, you realize that you, know, you have done great things with your career. So sometimes I think it's really important to pat yourself on the back and and think about the Scrabble playing skills. (laughs) It's funny that you say that because it's absolutely true. And it's something that I coach my own clients on is recognize how, how incredible you are as a person, as a professional. But it's something I think all of us as humans, it's kind of weird to to think about on our own accord <laughs> so yeah and, um, and that and I think maybe that's part of our you know the way we've survived you know you look at the things you're not good at and try and bring those up and and really sort of focus on that um and I think there's this weird thing about how um I think ne- negative events that they cause a lot more pain I think 
to us. And maybe that's a reminder that we need to focus on the things that we're not so good at. But I actually think with careers, it's about really thinking, what are you good at? What are your super strengths, superpowers? And focusing on that. Um, and it's like that Cal Newport thing where he says, you know, make yourself so great um, that you they can't sack you or they can't replace you. There's that book. I don't know if you've ever come across that. So good. They can't ignore you. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Why I think the subhead is why skills trump passion in the quest for work you love. Yes, it's it's one of my favorite career books. Yeah, no, that's, that's that's a great read. So um, I'm a big fan of the arts. So is there a performer, song, book or film which you'd like to share with our listeners today, Jenny? Can I share one, like a few, like one from each category? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go wild, go wild. <laughs> so in terms of music, I tend to gravitate toward strong and amazing women artists so i'm a i'm a big fan of dolly parton i think she's cool. an amazing human being it's it's one of the greatest shows i've ever seen and i was like a bazillion months pregnant i remember when i went and i could feel my daughter kind of dancing along with me um who, who doesn't love who doesn't love islands in the stream and journey oh, she's <laughs> so great and like adele whitney houston um, Aretha Franklin, just, I mean, I could go on. Um, books. So I tend to be a nonfiction reader almost to a fault. And my sister is a passionate fiction reader. And so she shared a book with me not so long ago um, called The Plot. And it's by Jean Hanf Koritz. Uh, okay. It is so good. I won't spoil the plot because the plot of the plot <laughs> is incredible, but it's it, it really got my heart because it's about a, a writer who was looking for his big break and found it in an incredibly breathtaking and, and you know, riveting way. That's all I'll say. And then movies. I find myself watching movies on planes more than anything. And uh, one that I really love and I've watched a few times is Lion, the movie about, it's a true story, right? About the the young Indian boy who fell asleep on the train oh, and yeah, ended yeah. Up a thousand miles away yes. from yeah. his family yeah. and had no idea how to get back because he's five. He doesn't know how to explain it and uh, ends up being adopted by by an Australian couple and it, it, the, the cinematography is really beautiful in the movie and, and the plot is incredible and it's a true story. So Lion is, is a really good movie. I saw that you studied journalism at Michigan State University. So what, what inspired you to um, study journalism and how was the MSU Water Ski Club? <laughs> so, so answer to your first part of the question, what inspired me I had, you know, I'll say a relatively difficult teen years, um, somewhat of my own doing. I was quite filled with self-doubt there in the midst of, you know, of my high school years. And I happened to take a course uh, in public speaking. The instructor was far and away the greatest teacher I've ever had. Her name is Miss Greco. 
And at my lowest, I guess, where I was feeling so not confident in myself, I had self-esteem issues. She pulled me aside and she said, you're really good at this. You're not only a good speaker, you're a great writer. And I don't even know that she knew what a profound impact that would have on the trajectory of my life. And so I did go to school to be a journalist. Originally, my plan was to go into broadcast journalism, but I realized how much I enjoyed the writing aspect of it. So that that was that was a good degree for me. And yes, we had a water ski club in all places, Michigan, where it is not warm all year <laughs> round. And uh, I grew up water skiing. My family had a, a, a place on a little lake in northern Michigan. So I gave it a go and it was fun. Very chilly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just love that story, Jenny. It's, uh, yeah, there's so many sort of points coming out of that, that, you know, words and actions are so important and you just don't know when those those will change the trajectory of somebody's life. So I think we should always be mindful of how we come across to people. And I think sometimes we always look at um, our journey from our perspective, which, which is fair enough. But I think having... Um, thoughts for the other person and how they react is is very important. But I also like the way how, you know, it just takes one person or uh, to see something in you, which makes such a difference. And I remember b- before I was thinking about starting the podcast, I was speaking to um, it, uh, somebody who I uh, sort of met online uh, in a community and she was so encouraging. Her name is Tammy Gulalobe. I don't know if you've come across her but she was incredibly encouraging. And she said, look, just go for it. And that really pushed me to go ahead with the podcast. And it, and it was one of those things where at the, at the outset, I thought I might do a few episodes, see what it is like. But then I think sometimes you have a momentum and, and things turn out really well. So, but I, I saw that you initially worked in marketing. Um, how was marketing and what made you transition into recruiting? I was a reporter for a couple of years out of undergrad. And I worked in an environment that people were not happy with the contract that had been renegotiated shortly prior to my arrival. You know, I thought it was the greatest thing. It was a great place to work. But but the long timers had, had had to make some concessions and they weren't happy about them. So the environment was was kind of negative and, and draining energetically. I just started getting discouraged and along came an opportunity to, to make that shift into public relations and marketing in a corporation. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. So that was that was kind of the jump into marketing. And I did that for for several years and was on a trajectory, I believe, to become an executive in marketing communications. And I remember just looking at my boss's job and my boss's boss's jobs and thinking, I don't want those jobs. It kind of freaked me out because I had invested a fair amount of time in this field and thought, well, well, now what? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> what are you going to do now? <laughs> And I'm just going to hang out. (laughs) Right. 
And so the last corporation I was working for, we had employed the services of a marketing, or I mean, excuse me, a recruiting agency. And I became friends with one of the co-owners of that agency. And he would cruise by my office when he was in our building and and just stick his head in and say, hey, when are you going to come and work for me? And it was kind of a running joke because he he saw something in me and thought I I might be a good recruiter. And I would always laugh it off. And and then one day I just thought, you know what, I'm going to call him up and see what this would entail. And, and I'll tell you what it entailed, a $50,000 pay cut. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for better or for worse, I decided to, to make that leap. I knew that I could probably be good at recruiting, which would then accelerate my income. And I also knew it was time for something different. So to have an opportunity to learn an entire new trade and get paid to do that, it just seemed kind of too good to be true. So so that's how I made that shift into, into the re- recruiting world. And I really like that story in the sense that I think um, you looked ahead. And I think a lot of people don't look ahead at their boss and their boss's boss's job uh, and and really think okay um this is where my career is going to take me and uh, for some people maybe they're very good at the tech technical part of their job but the higher up you go it's more management and dealing with politics and all this sort of stuff and i i don't know what what your situation was but for some people they just don't enjoy doing that so you really need to think how do you position yourself best um how do you maybe pivot slightly or go off in a, a a slightly different direction so i think that that's a great lesson for many people out there is always be i think strategic about your career don't let it happen to you um you know be be in control take control of the situation so i just you know lo- love that point you know the, the thing i love about marketing jenny is that you know i think it's about trying to and and and, and especially in the way it relates to careers it's about trying to build this consistent theme and message as to how your sort of career evolves, what you're sort of projecting to the world in terms of your personal brand, and also presenting your career in a way that sort of connects with recruiters, especially when you're looking for new opportunities. Yes, everything I do in my work in helping professionals who are actively trying to change jobs or get a promotion or pivot their careers. It's all about how you market yourself, how you position yourself. And I always joke because my career path has not been a, a straight line by any means, but I could not have planned it better to get the skills I have as a writer, as a marketer, and the knowledge I have of of decision-making that goes on around uh, hiring decisions. So the culmination of those three things makes me really good at what I do today as jobjenny.com. But had you asked me 15 years ago if if it was all going to come together like that, I would not have realized that. Yes, this is all about marketing. Because I think a lot of people don't realize this. You have a professional brand, whether you're thoughtfully and strategically shaping it and and 
putting it out there. Someone will go and look you up. Uh, they'll Google you. They'll they'll see what your digital footprint looks like. They'll they'll you know if they know you personally, they'll put those pieces together on their own and make a deduction of what your brand is. And so, given that, why not manage that messaging in a way that's authentic, authentic to you? I, I'm not suggesting in any way be some phony baloney because that's <laughs> not going to work out real well. Um, but being strategic about what you want to be known for and how you're going to articulate that to those you want to, you know, have grasp that message, whether that's hiring managers, recruiters, your boss. And I love that point you make about being strategic, because I think you can really take control as to how you position yourself. And And I totally agree with you. This is not about being inauthentic, being something that you're not. But clearly, um, you know, it's one of those things I'm sure you've seen in, in the workplace. Sometimes it's those people who are very good at marketing themselves and, and marketing what they're doing, even if they're not doing very much. They can give the impression of, of being, you know, a great leader or a great producer. And I think what what it requires, you know, other people who are maybe uh, less extrovert, you know, more introvert, they need to say, look, you know, we've got these skills, we've got these talents, um, and and show, um, you know, our colleagues or our boss, this is what we're we're worth. And I and I also think, say on LinkedIn or on the internet, you can sort of write um, short pieces, you can get onto podcasts, you can show yourself to be an expert. And especially if it's somebody else who's saying, um, you know, Jenny, wow, she's amazing. Um, and it's not yourself. That really is important. And you're right. I could have two people. One is the biggest expert in the world who never puts their head up and kind of socializes their greatness or somebody who's eh, but really good at the marketing piece. Yeah. The marketing person may very well be the one. So if you're competing yeah. for a job, that gets that job. However, you've also got to be able to walk the talk. Yeah. So, so, and that goes to the authenticity. Like I could present myself as a world-class, I don't know, auto mechanic. And you'd be like, yes, let's get her to come <laughs> and fix our car. And then I open up the hood and I don't have an idea what I'm doing. I, I, I mean, that's going to be the end of that. So it's really twofold. It's it's being able to find some comfort and willingness to toot your own horn in a way that's genuine and authentic. Yes. Yeah. No, and it's I, not I, easy for everyone, especially introverts. It feels uncomfortable. I think for a lot of people, a lot of us have been raised to be humble, don't overtoot your horn. And, and so when it comes time to really put your best foot forward professionally, it can feel incredibly uncomfortable. But yeah, you but gotta I, get over it. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. But then I think it's just trying to figure out what are ways you can do that without coming across as a you know a loudmouth or a braggart or one of those people. Um, but 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 on on the other hand, if you don't do that, then you're doing yourself a disservice, I think, and your career is not going to progress in the way that you'd like, which is a bit sad, I think. One theme that I saw coming out of your work is this idea of mindset, which I think is so important, especially 
if you're looking for work or trying to move on in your career. Because if you're sort of negative or fearful, you really stop yourself from exploring all potential opportunities. Say you're at a, a cocktail party and you you don't know anybody. You, you've got to force yourself to go out and introduce yourself and start speaking to people. Um, and, and it could just be, hi, you know, I'm Harsha, I'm Jenny. And then you start a conversation. It doesn't have to be some amazing opening gambits. You know, I'm a great Scrabble player or something like that. And, and Jenny, the funny thing about Scrabble is that I'm, I'm a terrible Scrabble player, but for some reason, my mom loves Scrabble. <laughs> Did she make you play? Uh, well, she'd like to. I love it. I play online. Oh, cool. I try, I try not to waste my time <laughs> frittering away on my iPhone, but it's a, it's a lovely way to, to wind down for sure. <laughs> I, I quite like crosswords, but I haven't gone into Scrabble. Me too. Okay. I like crosswords a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just like words a lot. I mean, that's, that's kind of the theme of my, my career going back to the idea of mindset and, and I understand it can be really hard to muster enthusiasm when you're stressed, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're nervous, uh, like if, if, if you're laid off and, and you're concerned about money and things like that, but having recruited for all the years that I did, I, I will tell you straight up that we recruiters can sense that when somebody's panicked and it's just unfortunately not going to, to be to your advantage when, when you're coming across as panicked. You're just not able to, to be everything that you can be. And so I would say fundamental to to moving forward as a job seeker, or if you're trying to grow or change your your career, is thinking through how can I how can I get my head straight? How can I be at my best? Is that more sleep? Is it eating better? Is it drinking less? Is it talking to a friend and having them give you the pep talk that you need? Again, I I will say that there's not a simple answer, and I don't like it when people project that it is just go do this you know everything will be great it, it is challenging for a lot of people but but coming from the recruiter's perspective I would say it will absolutely benefit you if if you get your get your mindset in a in a decent place as you go forward no I, I just love those points that you're making Jenny and and this is a slight aside which has nothing really to do directly with careers but this podcast will probably be coming out around the time of Valentine's Day. And I think there are a lot of like connections between like dating and finding jobs. Yeah, you, you've got to go out there. You've got to meet a lot of people. I'm not sure about dating two people at once. Uh, I don't think that's completely <laughs> ethical. But but obviously, you've got to get out there, get, get over your fears. So do you have any advice for uh, job seekers and on the relationship side in terms of what they should be doing to like supercharge their job search? And there are so many parallels between job search and finding <laughs> love. They, they should have got you to write the dating book, Jenny. What, what happened there? Oh, I know. The, the counterpart to my book, Do This, Not That, Dating. <laughs> I don't think they would have wanted that one. I'm not so much of an expert on that. <laughs> I finally got it right. But... <laughs> 
to, took me some time. <laughs> so one of the things I think that is, is an important parallel is you would never walk into a bar and slam your fist down on the table in front of a stranger and say, hey, you and I, we're going to get married. How about it? I mean, that that would be a critical error in terms of your opening first line. Most women or partners would be like, you're out of your mind, get away from us. So, but the equivalent of that goes on every day You'll see it most on LinkedIn among people who reach out cold to to contacts, maybe at companies they're interested in working with, or maybe a hiring manager they're trying to get the attention of, or somebody they want help from. They go from, I've never talked to you before, to, hi, you don't know me, but I want everything from you. I want everything. And so this is where I teach people to make it very easy for for that other person to say yes. So yes, I want to talk with you. Yes, I want to get to know you a little bit. And then later on down the line, yes, I want to help you. But but certainly that's a big one in dating is how do you court potential employers or people who might be influential to to your career development and you don't court them by doing the equivalent of banging your fist on the bar and suggesting that person will will be your next spouse <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no, i just love that and i think it, it's all really about the psychology of the whole interaction i think you need to come across as you know a, a, a decent person trustworthy but also be helpful because you know, it's not about just taking, um, you know, think about, is there anything you can do for that other person, you know, suggest a, a contact or whatever it is. But even if it's not, the, the initial ask should be very small and also should come, hope maybe later on in the discussion rather than the first thing. Um, so I just love the points that you're, you're making. Now, moving on to the sort of specific uh, job search uh, skills. Now, obviously, you're a CV expert. What do you think are the most important things um, you know, in terms of CVs, maybe the top um, three to five uh, thoughts you have, just high level, Jenny? Number one, and this is far and away number one, is to keep it top of your mind as you're creating or revising your CV that this is a marketing tool. This is not a list. This is not your autobiography. You're creating a marketing tool that's designed to prompt a purchase decision, if you will. And in this case, that purchase decision that you're looking for is invite Harsha in for an interview. That's what you're looking for. And so what you need to do with development of your CV is think about what does my target audience need to see very quickly that I can walk through their doors and deliver? What are those skills? What is that experience? And how can I shine the best light on that throughout my CV. So that's number one. Number two would be tell a story. Tell a story. What is the kind of thread that weaves through your career? Maybe even if it's a, a winding path, as obviously I have had, 
there are threads that run through your career. Maybe it's everything I've ever done speaks to my love of problem solving or really strong communication skills, whatever that is. And also don't be afraid to explain what you fear somebody's going to wonder or worry about. So here's an example of that. Say I have a two-year gap between 2019 and 2021. I lost my job. It was COVID. I I decided to just stay home, whatever. But now I'm in a job, but it's not the greatest job. and, And I'm thinking about looking for something new. So on my CV, I've got that gap. And so rather than just wait for somebody to wonder or worry about something like that, you can always explain it. So in your job that you have now, you could start the the entry by saying, following a a COVID related um, downsizing, you know, was invited by this XYZ company to come do that. So you're, you're explaining very succinctly how you got from one thing to the other, why you had the gap. So, so telling a story as you lay out the, the CV is, is a great idea. And then third is not worrying so much about the length of the CV. Even if someone says nobody's ever going to read it, if it's over one page long, I, I will tell you straight up, that is not the case. Now, but making sure you're, those words are earning the spot on the page. You don't want to blabber on and on and make it a painful journey for somebody to get through your CV. But likewise, don't be afraid to extend onto a second page unless an application or an opportunity explicitly says we need a one-page CV, then you want to follow their rules. But if you need a couple of pages to properly shine light on the things that make you a great fit for any particular role, take two pages. It's not a big deal. And, and I really like the point you make about the words because it's it's funny now that I'm I'm doing this the podcast and the YouTube channel and and you're trying to market um you know the podcast episodes. I take a much greater, you know, look at exactly, you know, what I'm writing and try to make sure each word actually has value. And is it just a filler word, you know, just chuck it out because people don't have time. They have a very short attention span. So really think every word that you're putting, whether it's on a CV or a LinkedIn post or whatever, is it adding value? Is it giving something to my audience? Can it steer them in a certain way? And you're going back to this whole marketing point. It's really about uh, trying to steer them in a particular journey. This isn't to say you've got to be in a panic that this isn't a Van Gogh masterpiece. I mean, everybody's CVs are generally works in progress, as they should be, because you should be tweaking the document based on where you're at professionally, what you're going after, what you're using it for, etc. But being mindful that that again, that you're marketing yourself through this and being mindful of of what your goals are, who you're talking to, and what they're likely going to care about the most. And and this is something too that's helpful. So say you're in you want to be a project manager. And you're, you're not in a job that is called project manager, but as part of your job, 
you're doing quite a bit of project management. So I would then make sure as you describe the job, even if the project management is not like the majority of the job, shine light on that first and foremost, because maybe some of the other stuff you're doing, even though it's cool and worthwhile, isn't going to be that interesting to them. And maybe even have a subheading project management. <laughs> yeah, and really just... Capacity of a project manager or something like that. So you're you're making it clear that even though I'm not called that, I'm doing that. And I think it's really about just trying to make it as easy as possible for the recruiter or the you know wh whoever you're interviewing with. Just make it easier for them to give you the job. I think that's the key thing, isn't it? <laughs> Magic. <laughs> the easier you make that for someone to connect the dots between here's what we need. And here's what Harsha could come through our doors and deliver, the better the odds are they're going to want to talk and hopefully they're going to want to hire you. Fantastic. Now, I've, I've loved reading your book, Jenny. Thanks for sending me a, a copy. Um, and I think it'll be really helpful to go through a few of the scenarios in there. Um, there are 75. Unfortunately, this there isn't... 81. Oh, 81. So, so it says... <laughs> 75 plus, uh -huh. but the plus is because we hadn't ironed out all the lessons yet when, when the cover was designed. So there's 81. <laughs> it's getting better and better the whole time. More so, for your money. Yeah. <laughs> so the Netflix series will be coming out at the end of the year. <laughs> One for the Netflix series. <laughs> yeah, one scenario I love was this whole idea of you see a job and you look at the job description and, you know, you don't match up to everything. Maybe you have around 70% of the requirements. But I think you were saying still go for it. I mean, what, what, what do you think, Jenny? No, I will say, say this. There are some companies that if you don't meet all of the baseline requirements they they can't consider you but what i what i suspect and what i see among those that i've worked with over the the last 12 years is people tend more often to self delete themselves from consideration because they're like i don't i don't meet 100% of these requirements I will tell you straight up, there are very few job openings where someone comes along and meets 100% of the requirements. I mean, this is the wish list of the company. So certainly if you do meet a majority of, of what you're seeing on the, on the job description and perhaps all of the baseline, maybe you're missing yeah. several of the, the preferreds, Go for it. I mean, why not go for it, right? If you don't apply, you already know what the answer is. Yeah, and I, I just love that point. I think a lot of people just feel that, yeah, they're, they're almost doing the recruiter's uh, process for them and, and and discarding them. If you think you've got the essentials, um, and, and yeah, the other things would be nice, you still go for it. And, and what's the harm? At least, you know, you, you could be lucky. And and sometimes I've spoken to friends of mine and they're saying that when they're putting a job description together, they're just asking for these things, which are just ridiculous. And, you know, actually, the, if, if somebody actually did have all those criteria, they'd probably be asking for double the salary. 
um, which, you know, so it's this ridiculous game that everybody's playing. Um, so I think, yeah, don't, don't put yourself out of the game. If you think, you know, you, you have a chance and you think you like the job because ultimately, um, the company will decide, you know, um, whether you're up to it or not. So yeah, no, I, I love that point. It's something that I touch on in the book too, on the flip side, I mean, don't lose sight of reality. Like if I apply today for that auto mechanic job or to be a guitar teacher, I mean, there's no chance. I don't know how to play a guitar. I don't really even know what's what under the hood of my car. So so obviously you need to live in reality. It's not just like, oh, I could do that. I'm a fast learner. You have to be at least a plausible fit for these jobs. That's all I'll say. <laughs> We're not talking about applying to be uh, quarterbacks in the NFL <laughs> or, or no. point guard in the NBA. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to another scenario. Now, when you start a new job, obviously you're keen to you know get to know your work co-workers and your boss. And I think that relationship with your boss is so uh, crucial because clearly if you can make your boss look good, that your boss will like you and will trust you and give you more responsibilities. Now, what are your thoughts about building strong relationships with your boss and your co-workers? It's just very important to make the effort to get to know people. It's, it's awkward when you start a new job, but it's going to become a lot less awkward very quickly as you get to know people. So it's it's about not counting on everybody else. You, hopefully, they'll they'll extend the the welcome and, and, and be proactive about it. But if they don't, um, certainly with your boss, I would recommend early on inviting her or him to to a discussion where you say, "What's the best way to communicate with you?" You know, like how can I put my best foot forward in these starting weeks? Like, do you have any projects right now that you're struggling with or that you really need some support with? Like offering to, to help, making sure you're understanding how that person works, what's going to be welcomed, what won't be. In terms of your coworkers, maybe just asking, starting by asking some questions. Hey, I noticed you're working on this. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or... If you're in an office, asking someone that you you work with if if they wanted to, if you can get them a coffee or or take them to lunch, and this isn't you're not asking the person on a date. I mean, you're asking a coworker if they want to join you, and and so I do think the sooner that you can do that, the better. Now, conversely, I would say be mindful. When you're first starting a job, you might not have a lot on your plate. The people that you're working to get to know might have tons on their plate. So be mindful that you don't want to try and commandeer all of their time with your million questions, kind of spread it out with with others. And then check out if your company has any kinds of external groups that get together. Some companies have like book clubs or sports teams or um, outside projects that they're working on, uh, volunteer work. Those are great ways to get to know several people relatively quickly. 
And I think just yeah, you know, asking. Um, look, you, you you obviously don't want to be telling your life story, but just asking sort of simple questions like, what do they like doing? Um, yeah, you know, what are their hobbies? Um, yeah, you know, are they crossworders or Scrabble players? <laughs> you know, arena makers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but there are so many simple things you can do. Uh, talk about sports or yeah, you know, uh, movies or whatever it is. It is, but just reach out but in a a might a, a, a nice sort of way isn't it you might run into the person that just doesn't like talking to people well you now know that so so i would not let that discourage you more often than not that has much more to do with that person than than anything you've put out there so having a little bit of a thick skin and a little bit of courage will go a long way I think when you're when you're settling into a new role and if you're if you're remote inviting somebody to just hop on a a zoom call with you and maybe just say hey I'd love to get to know you a little bit um, a little bit more about your work would you be open to a a 15 minute or a 30 minute chat coming up here And, and I love that point you make about communication because say when you do start a new job and you're trying to figure out like you know, what success means, it's important to communicate with your boss and your co-workers and figure out, okay, um, you know, are there any specific projects you want me to work on? Uh, you know, are there any specific goals? Because I think um, not having those, it doesn't give you a context because then say you start and you have your, you know, like your first appraisal in six months and then your boss suddenly tells you there are these 10 things which you haven't done, but you didn't know about that. And I think it's much better to be upfront and say, okay, have a an adult conversation with your boss or your coworkers and say, look, can we have some milestones? There's nothing good about thinking you're doing a good job, but all along, it turns out you were focused on the thing that your boss doesn't actually care about, and you've not been focusing on the thing that they really want you to focus on. So setting that expectation up front, it'll go a long way. And likewise, that's also meeting with them to say, what's the best way to communicate with you? I mean, do you want me to send you emails? Do you want, like really getting that established um, so so that you're not thinking that you're doing great work, whereas your boss is feeling quite otherwise. Yeah, and I think it's just that transparency that both parties then know this is you know what success means this is what um performance means because otherwise it's so easy just to carry on and and the thing is nobody likes confrontation uh but then you have your assessment and then it all comes out and you're thinking like why didn't you just tell me six months ago but yeah, that that's unfortunately that's his life but this other scenario i love is and I, and this i think is relevant for so many people you've done a good job at work you know you've done a good job and you want to ask for that you know a raise or a promotion what's the best way of trying to do that kind of planting the seeds for a while before you make that ask and those seeds would be making sure that it's known when you've made some achievements and not in a boastful way um, at all, but documenting your successes, um, making sure that in your meetings with your boss, that you're, you're sharing those wins all along. And 
it could be just saying, hey, we got a call from client X today. They said that the new system we installed is working better than anything they've had in the 10 years prior. And they specifically called out my, my work in doing this. Like, so really wanted to just share that with you. So all along, I would document your successes and make sure you're, you're socializing those wins. But when you're getting ready to ask for a promotion or a raise, understand that. I mean, it might be that you and your partner have decided you want to buy a house. So you need more money kind of quick. Your employer, even if they like you a lot, that that's not their problem. That's not their concern. What they're wanting to do is make sure that the return on investment for what they're paying you is worth the while to the business. And so I would absolutely make a case or a proposal before you make the ask, like what is the, the justification for them elevating you into a new role or giving you more money and what will they get <clears throat> in return for that? That's what's important. I just love that, Jenny. I think that's you know, some great, great points there. So moving on to uh, sort of, I suppose, a slightly less pleasant issue. If you're not getting on with your boss, are, are there any thoughts about that? Because I, I like this one thing you said about reframing the situation and, and you know, almost taking a little bit of the heat out of it because it, it could be that there's a personal issue going on at, you know, at, at home or you know, whatever it is. Or it could just be that your boss is not a very, he or she is just not a very pleasant person, but you need to figure out a strategy. Um, you can't suddenly just walk out of your job, uh, but you have to you know, plan and, and think about it and actually just be strategic and take the emotion out of it. It's crucial, I would say, when you're in that situation and, and not always easy if you're really fired up about whatever's going on, but approaching the person with empathy, I think, is important. And also, Harsha, thinking about, is there something that I am doing to contribute to the the nature of this relationship? Being self-reflective, like what's my role in this? That That's first and foremost. And you could, you could go to that person and say, hey, look, I know we've been struggling to see eye to eye. I just want to let you know that I, I'm sorry that I've been interrupting you in meetings. I realized it. And I, I just want, want you to know that I'm going to work on that. But if you feel like you're really not contributing much, you could say to that person, you know, I notice it seems that you've been very stressed lately. Is there anything I can help you with? So I think sometimes when people are not very nice to their colleagues or or their employees. It is, yes, there's something else going on. And if you call it out in a kind way, not, you know, hey, why are you being so mean <laughs> to me lately? But I notice you, you, you seem to be st stressed lately. Is there anything I can do to help? That's a gentle way of calling it to their attention. They might not even realize that they're being a jerk to you. And hopefully that's going to be a really important step to either having that person knock it off, whatever they're doing to make the relationship sour, or at least have that awareness that it is impacting you. I think sometimes people are, are good judges of the situation. And if it is sort of going beyond a particular point, then you really need to think, okay, should I go maybe to HR? Should I 
consider my exit strategy. And I think you know, people should never feel that there are no options. And I'm sure you've come across that. I've come across that in situations that, you know, with friends, they're saying, oh, things are terrible, but I have to stay where I am. And I think, the, you know, I would always say, look, do you really have to stay where you are? Because if you're not happy, eventually you're just going to get worn down. But I think a clever person will think, okay, how do I... Uh, create an exit plan, an exit strategy. Um, and you know, first of all, you go, go to get your mindset correct. Obviously, you've got to do all things like LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you should never feel that there are no options. I think that's a terrible situation to be in. I mean, what what, what do you think, Jenny? There's always another avenue. It might not be, it might be, it might high elevation. You got to put a lot of effort in, but there's always an option and feeling stuck and hopeless in a job. It's a terrible feeling and can lead to snap decisions that aren't ideal. You just wake up one day and say, I can't take it anymore. I quit. And if you can't really afford that option of having a period of time without employment, that's probably, that probably wasn't the best way to go about it. So like you said, having recognizing I do have options, what are those options? And, And one of the steps I can start taking to move toward that better path, a better job, that's really what you need to do. Or, or with Valentine's coming up, better boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> Going back to the correlation between <laughs> careers and dating. <laughs> Very good. Jenny, uh, I think we're sort of coming up to the end of our time. You know, really uh, love chatting with you. So, so much fun. Um, are, are there any other thoughts you have on you know, job hunting or career development, um, which, uh, you know, we, we've missed out. Obviously, we still have 76 more tips from the book to go through. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, we don't have time. But any other high level things which you think would be helpful for our listeners? Not just letting your career happen to you. And I think a lot of us do that, where something comes along and you're like, oh, I'll just take that or you're in between jobs and the first offer you get, you're like, okay, fine. I'm going to take that or, or whatever. And one thing leads to the next, to the next. And and suddenly you wake up 15 years later and you're like, I don't, I don't have any idea how I got here. So steering your career, really thinking about what am I here to do professionally? Like what, what can I contribute And, and what do I want my legacy to be? And what do I enjoy? And what am I good at? And really being thoughtful in steps that you're taking along the way. And sure, you might need to grab a job. You might, if I'm unemployed and something comes along and I'm running out of money for rent, take the job. But don't just take the job and then stay there and let life happen to you. Like catch your breath and decide, is this moving me toward where I want to be next or away from where I want to be next and be thoughtful and mindful in how you grow as a professional. And I say grow, that doesn't mean you have to choose like, oh, I'm going to be the biggest boss because I mean, I speak to that. I decided that was not for me, but you really deserve to find a vocation that that you feel like you're really making a, a contribution, you're feeling fulfilled, you're feeling like this is this is the spot you should be in. 
you deserve to have that. And yes, it is still work. Um, I'm not here to say it's all sunshine and roses. And like Cal Newport in that book, So Good They Can't Ignore You says, following one's passion is scientifically not what ultimately leads to long-term career fulfillment, but it's figuring out where you can take your skills, your education, your experience, and, and parlay that into a role where you feel good about it and you're able to do your best work. And, and, and I just love those points you're making, Jenny, because I really believe it's almost like this, um, this problem that you have. You've got your skills. Um, obviously, you've got to figure out a way of um, making money. And it's really thinking, okay, how can I take these skills, take my experience, wrap it up in a particular way, uh, market it to the right people um, to basically get the maximum value for the things that I'm bringing to the table. Um, And, you know, this is not easy. Sure, you could take a really not so great job um, and you're not really thinking about it too much, but you're not going to be fulfilled. You have to think there are trade-offs going on the whole time. Um, I think sometimes people with the best jobs out there on the outside, it's amazing, but, and they're earning lots of money, but there's a lot of stuff going under the surface. You know, they're constantly thinking, um, how do I stay relevant? How do I make sure that I've got the skills? Because, you know, I think, especially if you're at the top of your gate or, you know, top of the tree, there are always people there who want to take that away from you and, uh, you know, get into that position. So you've always got to be thinking, how can I distinguish myself from, that you know that that competition um so i I, yeah i I just love the point you're making and i think it's really about um being strategic not being fearful and really thinking how can i take what i have and present it in a particular way and not being inauthentic people are sometimes afraid like whoa what if they see what the real me is the real you is exactly what they need to see it's going to get you to the right spot it's going to feel better for you. And it's just crucial. If you, if you can't go about this authentically, your, your chances of ending up in the wrong spot are much greater. And and so having that confidence that, you know what, I have something unique and special to offer and putting yourself out there in the right places with the right messaging so that, that you find that. And again, going back to the idea that this isn't, this is your life's work. This isn't like, oh, this, I can figure this all out in a week. (laughs) I mean, I've, I've been a professional for over 25 years and I still am a work in progress. Right. But, but over the last decade ish, 15 years, I have been very mindful uh, about who I am, what I want to be known for what I have to offer. And and I do feel strongly I'm in the right spot and, and I'm able to be authentic. I mean, painfully so sometimes, but um, it does make all the difference. But it, it, treat yourself as a work in progress. Oh, fantastic. And I, I think it's really also about these small steps isn't it, that you're taking. You can't be an overnight success. It's just think of the long game and think, okay, take these small steps, execute, you know, do one small thing every day for the whole year, you, you'll you build up this, um, you know, amazing experience and achievements. It is not a sprint. And if you look at people who look like they're an overnight success, chances are they are not. 
you just didn't see all of the, the blood, sweat, and tears that went into getting to where they are today. So, so being patient, but persistent, I think is important. Yeah. And it's like all the guests that I keep calling to try and get on, get on the podcast. And I, I end up with Jenny Foss. I mean, results. <laughs> For the record, everybody, I said no zero times. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Jenny, um, yeah, as, as we're sort of wrapping up, I'd, I'd just like to offer my guests a chance to give a quick shout out to somebody who's helped them in their career or their lives. Uh, you and I both know Mac Pritchard yeah. of Mac's List. He is incredible. And um, I'm ever so grateful for the support he's given me over the years. I want to absolutely uh, thank someone named Adrian Granzella Larson. She was the first editor-in-chief of The Muse, which is a big career website. She gave me an opportunity years ago to be a columnist for The Muse, and that really was pivotal in, in the growth of my career as Job Jenny. So, so definitely Adrian. And then all of the crew at LinkedIn Learning who gave me just this wonderful opportunity to to be, uh, they call them authors. Essentially, they are trainers. I, I I do training courses on LinkedIn Learning on various aspects of career, and uh, that's been the time of my life. I mean, it's been so fun, but also really has contributed to to the growth of my career. So so shout outs to all of them. Fantastic. So Jenny, thank thank you so much for you know taking the time today. I'm glad we overcame the slight technical difficulties. Now, now we're both IT specialists we in addition really to <laughs> and auto mechanics. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm really wishing you uh, all the success uh, with the book. I uh, hope it gets to uh, a, a fantastic audience. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your day and, and your weekend. Let's talk again. Thanks, Jenny. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers. And subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.